When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Center hit on the Bowbound Show. Fueled by Fleetway Market. Fuel up your car and cooler at Fleetway this football season. Let's go. Over 25 locations in the state of Mississippi. Fuel up at Fleetway Market. Don't forget about the Market Cafe, too, in Gluckstadt. Great ribs, great ribs, and brisket. Fleetway Market, the Market Cafe in Gluckstadt and over 25 locations in the state, including the new one in Clinton's 24 hours a day. Uh, We are the Out of Bounds Show, ESPN 105.9 The Zone. We're brought to you by the Purple Mattress from any of the Miskelly Sleep Stores around the state of Mississippi. The Purple Mattress, I sleep on one, slept on one last night. The one and only Purple Grid, groundbreaking, no pressure gel technology is the star. Of every purple mattress powered by Muskelly Sleep Stores. We welcome in our friend Tom Luganville, National College Football Analyst with DSPN, also recruiting. He joins us on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Tom Luganville, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, pal. How are you doing? I'm doing well. No injuries out in Breckenridge, right? Oh, of course not. Of course not. Nothing but three to four feet of pure powder, baby. Did you have? Uh, did you and your wife have some good food and beverages while you were there? We did, man. I'm telling you what that to me that's my favorite ski resort town because the main street is just the absolute best. It's like a I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like a preserved 1800 gold mining town, and you got great food, great drinks, skiing, fantastic. It's literally one of my favorite spots in America. Dang. Sounds like heaven, and I'm glad you didn't. You know, we always talk about how spring break, so many people from here go out to Aspen and Breckenridge and all the wonderful places out in Colorado, and so many come home with ACL tears. It's an orthopedic's dream. And so uh, I'm glad that... Those are lesser athletes, folks. That's right. Hey, I I know I'm talking to uh, former JUCO All-American and Power (laughs) 5 starting QB, Tom Luganville on the Out of Bounds Show. Hey, I was uh, I was thinking about um, Sports Illustrated. They're they're going away, unfortunately. And you and I grew up at a time when I don't know about you, but I couldn't wait till it hit the mailbox, and I'd read most yeah. of it cover to cover, and then you'd break it down with your dad. And so you know, Jason's twenty four. He can't imagine ever not having an an iPhone or and all the yeah. socials and all the six hundred channels that we have now. You remember the days in the in the mid early, mid, late 80s, even into the 90s, where you would uh, get those great articles, NFL and otherwise, out of Sports Illustrated? Well, not only that, do you remember the faces in the crowd? I do. People think they would acknowledge the first cut. So I made that list when I broke the junior college passing record in 1993. Of course you did. Tell me about it. (laughs) It was, no, but it was great. Like, I always remember, like, folding that open and, like, okay, so who did something phenomenal? Who was the high school kid or the college kid or the professional bowler that broke some record that did something. It was just this little segment, one page, if you remember it. And so, like, I was tickled to death 
when I showed up in that. So yeah, man, Sports Illustrated, like that was, you, you waited for all of the special covers and um, not, not just like the articles, but just, I think the covers, they, the, the photography on the covers of whoever it was in that particular issue that was accomplishing some phenomenal athletic feat, whoever the photographers were always had like the best photos. They like did. The most in the moment photos in Sports Illustrated. It was unbelievable. You were, all right, I think that is so cool. You were in Faces in the Crowd in Sports Illustrated yeah. in 93. Is that what you said, Luke's? 92 or 93, yeah. God, I read that every single week for years. And, <laughs> you know, you would just see all these people from all over the country, and you'd be like, wow, that's an unbelievable feat. That's, uh, you know, some somebody would score X amount of points in, in hoops. Somebody would do this. That's, that's right. cool. Um, do you remember the iconic uh, Dwight Clark catch? In the end zone, oh, yeah. Luke's against the Cowboys against and the, the yeah. and the photograph. Speaking of great photography, like you're right. I mean that. I guess yeah. they outsourced some of it, and some of them were their photographers. But whatever, they had yeah. great, great covers. Do you remember Dwight Clark's picture grabbing that ball in the back of the end zone against the Cowboys in the eighties? I absolutely do because I remember how. Because I'm the biggest Joe Montana fan probably on the planet. My daughter's middle name is Montana. Oh. So That's cool. when I looked at that photo, yeah, when I looked at that photo, so they got Dwight and it's from the back of the end line. And then you see the blurred out uh, Ed Tutal Jones and Joe Montana, which would have been around the 10 yard line, I guess, mm-hmm. on that play. And, uh, and it, it's unbelievable. In fact, I got, a, I got two pretty good stories on that. One from Joe Montana and one from Dabo Sweeney. So that play when Dabo Sweeney became the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, he has a photo of that play in his office, and I think it's signed by Dwight Clark as he went to Clemson. And Gene Stallings comes to visit him right when he gets to the job. And Dabo's so proud, like he's so fired up. He's going to have Gene Stallings come into his office. He wants to show him this. He wants to show him that. So he shows him that photo. Gene Stallings goes, uh, Dabo, you uh, know I was a defensive coordinator of that team, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's one story. That's one story. The other one, and if you go back. Hold on, real quick. So for our listeners, yeah. Gene Stallings worked for Tom Landry, and that's what Lugan Bill yeah. is referencing. Go ahead, Lukes. Yeah, so he was the defensive coordinator of that team. So then I'm at a camp when Joe Montana's kids were coming up through the recruiting process. He had two sons. One was, you know, a, just a, a very average walk-on type player. The other, the other kid, Nick, was an actual scholarship type of player. Ended up playing a little bit, uh, bounced around some. But anyway, so we were at a camp, and he's there, and his wife Jennifer's there. And, and I'm like a kid in a candy store, but um, we're, we're just talking, and, 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 and that play comes up. And he says, you know, the thing about that play that nobody realizes he goes, it never happens if Freddie Solomon doesn't fall down. And if you go back and watch the play from the beginning, it's called the play is called sprint right option. And Freddie Solomon is motioning over. He's supposed to go into the flat. And Joe does a short roll, and it's just going to dink it to him right in the flat. He walks in the end zone. Well, Freddie Solomon falls down. 
So when he fell down, there was no recourse, and that's when Joe had to keep retreating because Ed Tutal Jones was in front of him, and he couldn't get the ball over him, right? And, and so I've had this unbelievable opportunity during my lifetime to hear Joe Montana himself walk through the play. And I never noticed that at the beginning because when the play starts, you're not looking at the line of scrimmage. You're not looking at the flat. You're watching Joe drop back and roll out, right? Well, next time you see that play, go pay attention to number 88, Freddie Solomon, watch him fall down. Oh, I'm watching it after the show. I mean, I'm going to YouTube. <laughs> That's done. I mean, I was a kid like you. We're the same age. And I was glued. We yeah. didn't get that much ball. So when you got the game of the day or whatever it was, you know, by damn, you were glued to it. And that was, that was as, as you know, Luke's, because you're a West Coast kid, that was as the 49ers were ascending and the Cowboys were kind of going another direction after Landry had uh, grabbed, I think, maybe three Super Bowls in the, uh, in the 70s, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was kind of like the transition into the 49ers. You're right. All right. You played quarterback, Georgia Tech, you know, Juco All-American, y'all won the national championship. You see all this. Yeah. We talk about all this offensive innovation today, which is so much fun. Being a West Coast kid, growing up out there, your dad's coaching, Walsh is out there. Talk yeah. about what it was like to see to see it all evolve and to see them win big. Because the reason why I gravitated to them, Luke's, is because Jerry Rice went out there, okay, a couple years Correct. into their um, dynasty. But Montana, Roger Craig, Dwight Clark, John Taylor, Jerry Rice. Then on the flip yeah. side, Ronnie Lott was one of my favorite players ever. But talk about Walsh offensively and what he brought to the table. So I was actually really, really fortunate because I got to, when I was that age, when it was early 80s, mid-80s, into the early 90s, um, we were just coming off of the Air Cordial years in San Diego. So I lived in San Diego. So that Sid Gilman, Don Coriel, that whole time frame of, how offensive football was was changed kind of coincided with, with, with Bill Walsh and what's now referred to as the West Coast offense and how, you know, everything was about this marriage between footwork and timing and distance. Nothing was measured in yards. It was measured in how many steps it took for a certain route to be run some way and then marrying that up with the quarterback's steps and footwork and how it was all just this symphony of timing. And that was when everything really started to change from a personnel groupings, formations, motions, and shifts standpoint. I worked for a guy who just recently passed away at the age of 91. His name was Dave Levy. Yeah. And Dave was an old offensive line coach, and he coached for John McKay at FC for 16 years, won four national championships. But then he was also the offensive line coach uh, during those years for the Chargers when they had John Jefferson and they had uh, – uh, who was the tight end at the time? Kellen uh, Winslow Sr. Yeah, Kellen, Kellen Winslow, Chuck Munty at running back, Dan Fouch. You had Charlie Jordan. You had all these guys. And he used to tell me, he goes, he goes, everybody thought we were so complicated. He goes, we weren't complicated. We had six run plays. We might have had 10 to 12 pass concepts. That's it. That's all we had. But what we did is every single time we lined up, we lined up differently. 
It was either a different formation, a different group personnel grouping, there was a shift, there was a motion. It was all simplicity made to look complex. He goes, if you would have watched us, and you probably looked at us, you'd say, oh, my God, these guys got 100 different pass plays, and they got 60 different run concepts. And he goes, no, that's not what it was at all. It was actually the exact opposite of that. It was all window dressing. And I think a lot of that stuff in the late 70s, early 80s, late 80s, and into the early 90s, and you started to get more disciples of Bill Walsh, right? So you had the Mike Holmgren coming out. You had the Andy Reid coming out. You had all of these guys that at one point, you know, Mike Shanahan, all these guys at one point who had all come off of that tree started branching out. And then next thing you know, it takes over professional football, really professional football more than college football. Yes. The, the West Coast offense, there's been concepts of it, of course, um, especially at BYU. Um, which is where, you know, in, in Andy Reid started there, Holmgren was there, Norm Chow, you can remember all those guys. Lavelle Edwards were. doesn't get enough credit. Does not get enough credit because he's really kind of the godfather of a lot of that stuff at the collegiate level, but then it obviously went on to the professional football side of things. But, no, I'll tell you, man, Bill Walsh, I, got, I had a chance as a kid to attend some training camps um, at San Francisco back when they were in their old complex and they – had Candlestick Park, and yeah, I remember all those. Those times were magical, man. I mean, just magical. Wow. Tom Luganville with ESPN on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. All right, do you remember the show um, with, speaking of, you know, Sports Illustrated, do you remember Inside the NFL with uh, Len Dawson and, and Nick Bonacani or however you absolutely. say his name? Oh, absolutely, sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think Chris Collinsworth was on that show maybe at one point i think he was too i think you're right yeah okay see that was must watch tv too because that was really the only way you could get i mean you had a little bit of espn going they were kind of getting up and running as you know um but it wasn't anything like dan patrick keith olberman when you and i i was a 92 graduate high school so when we got into college you know you would watch the sports center late night and then you they replayed it all morning with dan patrick and olberman and all those dudes you remember that yeah yeah, you had well, you had so you had six p.m. Sports Center and eleven p.m. Sports Center. And if you missed the eleven, they replayed the eleven yep. the next morning. Right. I remember, I remember being between my junior and senior year in college. I believe is when ESPN two launched, and they had, and they and, they, and that was where everything at ESPN really started morphing and growing and developing and. And, uh, but, oh, yeah, dude, I remember that vividly. And, I, like, there's a part of me that, listen, I, I work here. There, there's a part of me that wishes they never went to a 24-hour sports center because now it's so oversaturated. Right. That in the old in the old days, like, you knew you had to wait. I say the old days. I mean, the 90s. But you had to wait till 6 and then 11. And that's I, the only time you got it until the next morning, which th- was what made it so awesome because you look forward to it. Uh, morning in college sports center. It didn't get any better because nope, you, right. you you got the updates on the NFL and and everything that was going on. You mentioned uh, we're visiting with Tom Luganville on ESPN 105.9 The Zone. Lugs, you, you talked about um, talking to Joe Montana and, you know, you got to meet him and you loved him. I did too. Yeah. Great player. Uh, what was he like? As, he always, to me, he's always come across as, as to be such a star, as very level-headed. Is that how he was in person? What was his demeanor and personality like? Yeah, he's actually kind of shy, to be honest with you. Um, 
he never he he never got into the television the side he just wasn't for him he just wasn't comfortable with it it's amazing to think that somebody with ice water in his veins at the biggest moments of a, of a, a professional sports career is uncomfortable doing television that's like unfathomable unfathomable to me i don't that that doesn't register for some reason but uh very unassuming uh very quiet uh like i said uh shy uh always care when i've been around i've been around him two or three times now always has a little smirk on his face he is a bit of a prankster um i don't know if you've seen it but you need to go on peacock and watch the the uh documentary it's like a seven-part documentary on him it's fantastic and it takes you through all of the the injuries and the near retirement and the back surgery and the Steve Young stuff and the Kansas City goes from the beginning all the way. It's really, really detailed, really detailed. It's on Peacock. It's really good. Yeah. Um, it's well but done. He's kind of a dude's dude. He's just kind of a dude's dude. So like, like I like, I can tell, I'm sure you've heard the story where that last drive in the Super Bowl against Cincinnati in 89 and they're on their own, what, six yard line or four yard line because they went 96 yards. And he walks into the huddle at the biggest moment of the game, and he says, I think he said to Harris Barton, the offensive lineman, he goes, hey, you guys, is it just me or is that John Candy over there in the fourth row? And he said that to, like, all of his teammates at the beginning of that drive, and he takes a 96 yards to, to win the game on the throw to John Taylor. Like, those types of stories I love hearing. That's as good as it gets. Tom Luganville on the Out of Bounds Show. All right, let's switch gears. Um, that was That was fun. Sports Illustrated, Montana. Dwight Clark, the the iconic covers for for years, but the journalism and the writing in there was unbelievable yeah. at a time when you could actually send guys out, men and women out, and give them time to go go get a story and come back and and really really do it well. Uh, and I know they had amazing editors and and so on too. But you're right on the photography, beautiful, absolutely beautiful pictures throughout the magazine. Um, okay, I read an article this morning in the Athletic. We got a few minutes here on Jason and Travis Kelsey. And it was hilarious, Luke's. And it takes you through their Cincinnati day at the University of Cincinnati. And I didn't really know much about their background. I'm sure you do. But they were they were two-star players. Um, yeah. Jason was not highly recruited. Uh, Travis was a six-foot-six two-star quarterback. And yeah. they just grow and develop. Out of trouble. Yes. I, I've, I, I, look, I wrote down, here's... Uh, they called him Big Kelly, Jason. He ripped the sink out of the wall in their uh, first house that they lived in in Cincinnati. Here's another quote um, from one of his teammates. He was an animal. Um, how about this? You'll enjoy this as much ball as you've been around both um, in locker rooms and practices on teams, but also covering. Uh, one of his teammates, let's see. All right. It's St. Patrick's Day, and we're getting ready for practice, for spring practice, and Jason Kelsey gets a Gatorade bottle and fills it up with Jameson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, sounds about right. You know, so these guys, my takeaway, and they interviewed uh, over 15 teammates, so it wasn't just like, you know, two. Uh, My takeaway is, it talks about them chugging beers and having a big time, but they, they had a large time, but, but the, the other takeaway from their teammates was when they got to the facility, Luke's, and I'm sure you played with guys like this. When they got to the facility and and started getting to work, they were locked in. So some guys can't balance it 
and some guys, some guys can, and they could. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's about time management. It's about personal choices. It's about uh, being a pro, understanding what's asked of you, and then being accountable for it. I think that's, that's one of the things. And, and by the way, to that story you told, I do know there's been a couple of occasions because Jason Kelsey has talked about it where he had to go to the coaching staff and say, don't, I'll, I'll get him, I'll get him right, coach. Don't, they, I mean, Travis is close to getting kicked off, I think, a couple of times. Yeah. Um, because of his conduct and his brother saved him. And then, you know, like you said, Travis kind of got his act together and realized, hey, I, I can only push the envelope so much and now I'm going to have to conduct myself accordingly. And he did, and good for, and good for him. But, yeah, I, you know, it's interesting when you – that's the one thing that I see in recruiting that is, for me, so um, – I have a really hard time with how young kids, kids going into college, high-profile kids, have all this heat and this praise and this, you know, adulation and all, all of these positives, and they can't figure out – some of them, not all of them – can't figure out the simplicity of – a clock, meaning this. Usually when there's a problem with a young guy when he comes on campus, no matter how profile he, uh, a guy he is, you want to know what it revolves around? He's late. He's late for everything. Late for a meeting, late for treatment, late for study hall, late for training table, late for the 5 a.m. workout. The simple concept of time management and being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there is a really, really difficult thing for some people. But in the recruiting world, when kids struggle early on, it's almost always some form of that right there. And I've, I've never been like, I tell my son all the time, I was like, listen, buddy, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to work through things. But I can tell you right now, if you ain't early, you're late. Right. That needs to be your mantra in life. Nobody needs to be responsible for for your time, and you're not responsible for anybody else's time. But if you're where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, you have not infringed on anybody else. You've done what you're supposed to do. That's half the battle right there. Absolutely. Then you work through what's asked of you, right? And in recruiting, and and I and I went off on this tangent because you're telling that, that the Kelsey stuff, but eventually you either come to a point as a player, regardless of what your personal conduct is off the field, if you're having a good time or you're partying or this and that, you're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is going to be, am I either going to do what I'm supposed to do or am I not going to do what I'm supposed to do? And the, and the consequences for both of those will be so drastically different that to me, it's an easy decision, but a lot of guys have a hard time with that, man. Yeah, they do. Where has your son decided uh, what college he's going to go to? Yeah, he's going to go to EKU. He's got a full scholarship as a long snapper. He enrolls in the first summer session in May. And so uh, trying to get him coached up on what all's coming and what is going to be expected of him and the, the pitfalls and the potholes in the road and the ups and the downs and all that sort of stuff so that he can navigate it as clearly as he can and at least be prepared for what's coming. Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. So now here I am. I spent all this time saving money for my kid's college, which I responsibly did, and I'm very, very proud of that. Then he goes and gets a scholarship, and I'm trying to figure out loopholes in the 529 plan to get my money back. I bet you are. But that's not a bad spot <laughs> to be in, my man. Congratulations. No. So Lou's Thanks. son is going to Eastern Kentucky on scholarship, and they've been working. Lou's has been working him as a long snapper for 
I think since he was in sixth or seventh grade because I've seen some of the clips on Facebook. Yeah. That's great, man. All right. Well, look, uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the AFC and right. NFC championship game. And uh, we'll hook up again next week. Sounds good, buddy. Have a good one. Later. Tom Luganbill, ESPN on the Farm Bureau Insurance Guest Line. Your SEC insider hit this morning is brought to you by your bar stools, which you need from Miskelly Furniture or upgrading your recliner or the new sectional sofa, all powered by Miskelly Furniture in Pearl. Back in a second. <laughs> 